All right. Well, man, how's everybody doing out there today? Well, hang on. Let me try this one more time. This is Joy Church, right? <laughs> All right. So how's everybody doing out there today? All right. Now, that's a little better. Not quite what I was hoping for. This is the 11 o'clock service. You guys are supposed to be a little more rowdy. All right. So... <laughs> Um, a lot of you don't know me. Uh, my name is Joe, and I really have the honor and privilege of uh, speaking with you today in the absence of uh, Pastors Jake and Bethany. Really glad to be here. How many of you guys are having a great Christmas season so far? Um, well, uh, man, I can't, I'm so excited today to share what God's laid on my heart. Uh, but before I do that, I want to take a moment to thank our pastors. How many of you are really appreciative of both of our pastors, Bethany and Jake? Come on, somebody. Come on, a little bit more. We can do a little better than that. Come on. Um, man, you know, they, what's happened in this church over the last six years is really remarkable. Um, this is not a normal story for most churches in the area. So we just thank God for their leadership, um, what they've done. And uh, man, they're just incredible people. You know, Bethany, she, um, she uh, preaches incredible messages, very intelligent and articulate, um, dresses well, you know, and then Jake is on time at least, so <laughs> that's a joke. Um, Jake is, uh, he's awesome. He's a great leader. Um, one of the things I really appreciate about him is uh, he's just, if you were to ask him, you know, what's been the secret sauce to Joy Church, he wouldn't tell you it's because we have the very best strategies of any church in the area. He wouldn't say, well, it's, it's our systems. Um, I think it's because, you know, both Bethany and Jake are passionately committed to the pursuit of the Holy Spirit uh, and really the vision and culture of Joy Church, which is um, just really a culture of relying on God. And, and frankly, it's in our name. It's a culture of joy. How many of you are, again, one more time, come on, let's put our hands together. How many of you are grateful for what God is doing in this church? We expect more. We believe God for more. Um, really excited today to be continuing our series on Christmas carols. Um, I do have one bone to pick. I, I you know, I, you know, Bethany wanted me to do Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but she gave me the freedom to choose any song that I wanted. That's what she said. And I was going to choose the all-time Christmas classic, I Farted on Santa's Lap. And she vetoed it. I didn't actually do that. that was <laughs> um, but uh, today we're actually going to be doing a, a well-known Christmas carol called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. How many of you know that one? Like three people. Okay, so I'm glad that I, I picked one that's really widely known. Um, so before I get started any further, I do want to give a little credit where credit is due. Um, I was really inspired by a book by one of my favorite pastors named Craig Rochelle. The book is called Hope in the Dark. Um, how many of you have ever been through a dark season? Uh, you know how that goes. You can use a little hope in the dark sometimes. Uh, very inspiring book, and I want to give credit there and just really thank him for that as it's really inspired a lot of what I'm going to talk to uh, you about today. The Christmas Carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, was by a fellow named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. It was a cold, bitter winter in Christmas 1863. Two years prior to that, Henry Longfellow lost his wife tragically in a fire, and he fell into a deep depression. That depression continued up till that day. During that time, his son was fighting for the Union Army and was severely injured by a bullet that struck him. And so he was taking care of his son, dealing with deep depression for the loss of his wife, and really pondering the state of the world around him as the Civil War continued to rage. And on that Christmas morning in 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow 
heard the church bells ringing. And as he sat there listening to those church bells and pondering the state of the world around him, he wrote the lyrics to a poem. And it says this, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play and wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now he writes a few more stanzas that are very kind of happy and vanilla. Uh, then he switches gears and he talks about all the things that are going on around him with the war. Uh, and suddenly the poem takes a very vicious turn. And it says, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now we're going to get to the last stanza of that poem here in a little bit. But what Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was asking, the question he was asking is the same question that you and I often ask. Why doesn't God seem fair? It's the same question that he asked 160 years ago, same question that we ask today, and it also happens to be the same question that a prophet of God named Habakkuk was asking 2,600 years ago. Now, I want everybody to say the name Habakkuk at the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. No coughing in church. There's a pandemic going on. Hashtag dag joke. Hashtag it doesn't really get any better than this, guys. You're going to have to work with me a little bit. You're stuck with me for the next 30 minutes. So we don't know a lot about Habakkuk, but he was a prophet. Now, what is a prophet? A prophet speaks to the people on behalf of God. At least that's normally how it works. But Habakkuk was a little bit special. He spoke to God on behalf of the people. And in Habakkuk's time, things weren't going so well. The nation of Judah was once prosperous, was once doing well, and in that time they had been taken over, and now they're impoverished, and now they're impoverished. And he looks around and he sees injustice and corruption and violence, and he doesn't understand. He's beside himself. He's confused and perplexed, baffled, disappointed, and he's angry with God. God, why are you allowing this? You could stop it right now, but you don't. See, Habakkuk doesn't pull any punches. See, Habakkuk looks at the world around him, and he realizes that what he believes does not line up with what he sees, and he just unleashes on God. And in chapter 1, he just basically says that there was a prophecy that came to Habakkuk. Now, this is not your normal prophecy. In fact, the word that was used is kind of a, a heavy, burdensome prophecy. What, what it means is a, a heavy utterance, a burden, a doom. And this is what he says. He says, How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, Violence! but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? You want to know what I really appreciate about Habakkuk? He's just raw. He's real and he's raw. 
And his name actually tells the story of this book. It tells my story. Probably tells some of your stories. The name Habakkuk means to wrestle or to embrace. Now, I'm going to give you a warning. Uh, This is not a Christmas movie sermon. Uh, Now, here's here's what I mean by that. Most sermons are Christmas movie sermons. Most that I've ever taught have been that. Most of what you're going to hear is going to be a Christmas movie sermon. There's nothing wrong with that. What happens in a Christmas movie? I mean, think of some of the popular ones. We've got kind of those old classics like uh, It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street. How many of you have seen those? Hey, there's maybe newer, you know, Christmas classics like Elf, for instance. Pretty good one. We've already watched that. How does a Christmas movie work? Well, you have everybody there, and everybody's happy, everything's going well, and then something goes wrong. There's a tension. There's a problem. And then within the sum of about 90 minutes, or maybe two hours if you're watching with commercials, everything gets resolved, and there's a happy Christmas. That's a Christmas movie. Now, most sermons are very similar to this. Uh, There's us. And then there's some sort of tension, some sort of problem, some sort of issue. We go to God's word, we find the solutions, and then in the words of Pastor Jake, we can all beat the rest uh, rest of the churches to the best restaurants, right? This is not a Christmas movie sermon. Um, Here's a good example of of maybe uh, kind of Christmas movie Christianity. You know, maybe you you really like your job, but eh, you lose your job. But the great thing is, a month later, you get a lot better job with benefits. God blesses you with something better. Uh, not only do you get benefits, your, your faith is restored. You go back to church, and then that day that you go back to church, you happen to be sitting right next to that really cute single guy. And then, you know, he looks at you, you look at him, and then you go on a couple dates, and then you find out he's not just a cute single guy, he's a cute, rich single guy. Then you get married, have all the babies that you want, retire at 40, and everything works out. Some of you are saying, amen, yes, I receive it. (laughs) But in life, that's not how things always turn out. Sometimes you like your job, and then you lose your job, and you don't get a better job. You might even get a worse job. Maybe you have a a good high level of education, and the job that you receive seems to be well below that level of education, and all you're left with is a heap of student loan debt and not enough money to pay it off. And you feel like a failure. Maybe you love your spouse, and then your spouse betrays you. And they don't apologize or repent of their actions. Instead, they blame you for what you didn't do. And now you're all alone. Or maybe life is good, God is good, life is good, until you get a cancer diagnosis. And you don't know what to do. Your heart jumps out of your chest, but you fight. And you fight and you pray, people pray for you, and you beat cancer. God is good. But then two years later, cancer comes back. It doesn't look so good this time. And then, what's even better, is in the middle of your trial, a really well-meaning Christian brother or sister comes along to encourage you. And usually it's always a platitude. Just trust the Lord, brother. Let go and let God. You're too stressed to be blessed and too anointed to be disappointed. (laughs) And then you want to do the holy thing that Scripture tells us to and lay hands on them in the name of the Lord. 
Why are you letting it happen, God? Why don't you do anything? I mean, where are you in the midst of this? this is, it's not right, it's not fair, it's not just. Why don't you intervene? Where are you, God? This was really driven home for me a few months ago um, with a phone call that I received from a friend. Um, I have a friend that I met in Bible college, and um, I don't know if you've ever met somebody that, you know, maybe it's your, your best friend, but, you know, you find that person, it's like your, your kindred spirits instantly. I remember it was orientation, and, and I'd met him. It was one of the first days. Um, his parents were there, and we just got along so well. We hung out the rest of the day. I remember we actually uh, went to one of the common areas, and I think we were probably up until three or four in the morning. Just, I mean, first day we met each other, just talking, 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 laughing, cutting up, lots in common. Um, I mean, it was awesome. And I, I knew after that moment, I, I had made a real friend. You know, that's pretty rare, especially for dudes. So um, it was great. Now, I, I knew him real well. We, we maintained close friendship during Bible college. I was actually the best man at his wedding. He was the co-best man at my wedding. And um, I knew his wife really well because they met in college and, um, you know, had gotten married shortly afterwards. And I remember uh, I was leading a small group, and it was right after a small group. And I got this call from him. And uh, he had told me, and it was obviously he was very upset, he had gotten in an accident. His minivan had been T-boned by a semi. And uh, in the midst of it, his mother-in-law was in the hospital, and they weren't real optimistic that she would pull through. Um, two of his three kids were also in the hospital. Um, they were going to make it, but, you know, still kind of banged up. And then he, uh, he paused. He, said, he told me, he said, and um, Angela, that's his wife's name, and he, he couldn't get it out couldn't get it out. And uh, I think you and I know exactly what he is about to say. She didn't make it. And so now he is dealing with being a single dad on a low income with three kids and trying to pick up the pieces. I remember that day we had a very different conversation until three or four in the morning. There wasn't a whole lot of laughing. There's a lot of silence a lot of tears, um, and a lot of confusion. You know, maybe for you it's not this big car wreck that completely destroyed and wrecked your life. Um, maybe for you it's, it's something that might seem petty to others but is meaningful to you. Maybe you've honored God in your relationships and your sexuality. You've, you've stayed true to Him, and all you've wanted for years was just to find someone that you could do life together with, and it doesn't seem like God uh, is offering that to you. But, you know, you have friends, and they partied around, and they've got the spouse of their dreams. Everything's going great. Or maybe you've tried to conceive for years, and you can't seem to have that child that you want, and you've got friends that they didn't even want kids, and they have like four of them now. You're wondering, where, where, when is it my turn? Or maybe you just know you've been faithful. You're a faithful follower of Jesus. You, you read the Bible, you, you pray, you serve, you lead, or you, you go to a joy group. You, you're, you're into this, but you still battle with migraines or anxiety or constant pain. Or perhaps you just look at the suffering of the world around you, and you, you know that there's terrorism and, and racism and school shootings, and there's children that don't have enough to eat, and you just think, where are you, God? If that's you, you have a friend in Habakkuk 
because that's exactly where he was too. In verse 3, he says, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. You ever been there? I mean, what are Habakkuk's primary problems with God? Well, well, there's three. First, he says, you don't really seem to care. In other words, there's justice and suffering. doesn't seem like you care. You aren't doing much when you could be doing something. And three, whatever you are doing, it doesn't seem fair. Uh, tell me, raise your hand on this one. Have you ever thought to yourself, if you were God, that you'd do things a little bit differently? More hands than nine o'clock. You guys are a little braver. I, I would have, tr- you might be worried that some of you are probably like, I'm not raising my hand on that. Get struck down by lightning in church. Um, it's okay. If, if you're nervous, you can polish your halo a little bit. I'm talking to the real people today. I mean, is it ever okay to question God? Maybe. I mean, if you read the book of Psalms, about one third of the Psalms are people that are hurting and broken and crying out to God. There's other books like Job and Lamentations and Ecclesiastes and Jeremiah that express confusion and pain at at unbearable suffering. And it'd be one thing if it was just evil people that experienced that, but but no, they don't understand because it seemingly righteous, good people. I mean, even Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane asked God for any other way but going to the cross. This is how faith works for a lot of people. and even if you've kind of grown up in church, uh, you've probably had an experience like this at some point. I'm going to sit this right here. This will work. So even if you've grown up in church, you've probably had an experience like this at some point. Um, some of you, maybe you're not even a church person, which by the way, we're really glad you're here. Really glad you're here. Maybe mom dragged you or you, you're in a relationship where the other person's committed and you're like, okay, I got to go. Makes them happy, you know, whatever. Um, really glad you're here, by the way. Uh, and I hope you know that um, we're passionate about you. We love you, Um, and we hope that you experience a life of faith as well. But this is what happens. Typically, whether you've grown up in church or not, at some point you realize, you know, you're down here and you realize that you need God. Something happens. Something makes you realize that you're doing life without God. You don't have it figured out. And so you put your faith and your trust in the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. And usually for most people, this is an incredible experience. And you just go to the mountaintop. You're full of joy and peace, and you open the Bible, and God's Word speaks to you, and it's, it's powerful, and it's moving. You go to church, and the sermon was like just for you, and then the Christian radio song, you, you know that it was, you know, they, they, it's, it's for you, and, you know, Judah played, you know, that Elevation song again, and you love it, and it was amazing and moving, and tears were streaming down your face. God is good. I mean, you go to Costco, and a miracle, like the greatest miracle, more than the Red Sea, a parking spot actually opens that's close to the door, and I mean, everything's going great you know, you're up here. But then life kind of happens. Things become a little more mundane. You know, you start to lose a little bit of that edge and that joy. And you go to church, you hear the sermon, and you think, meh. Not here, but I mean, like everywhere else. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Maybe, uh, you know, life's kind of boring. You know, Judah didn't play that elevation song that you love, and you didn't feel anything. You, you pray for something, and instead of it happening, the exact opposite happens. You just reach a place of spiritual blaséness. 
You go to Costco and you, you can't even make it into the door because you haven't practiced for a marathon yet and so you don't have enough physical fitness to make it in there. And then something really bad happens. Something that just jars you. Maybe it's sickness or something that happened to a loved one or an emotional or intellectual crisis, something. And what you do is you enter this phase, which one of my favorite theologians, Dr. William Lane Craig, called the dark night of the soul. And when you reach that crisis of belief, that phase, the dark night of the soul, you really have a couple options. And people generally fall into two camps on this, two responses that people have. Sometimes you deny reality and you just pretend that you're still up here. No, 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 everything's fine. God is good. La, 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 la. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Now, I'm not talking about having joy and suffering. You should have joy and suffering, but you can deny reality and not recognize that this is a tough season and you just deny it. La, 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 nothing happening here. Or you can do what some people do. You say, forget it. I'm out. I was supposed to be here. I tried this God thing. It was supposed to be good, but now it's not. I'm done. Or you can take hold of the third option, which is to embrace and to wrestle. You embrace and you wrestle. Here's the thing. You're in that valley. And as you embrace and you wrestle, you think it's going to get better? Sometimes as you embrace and you wrestle, it actually gets worse and worse. But something happens somewhere along the way where you do what James said to do in the first chapter of his book. He said to consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that your trials will produce perseverance. And perseverance must complete its work so that you will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, I'm convinced, and some of you, you've been, some of you here, you've been following Jesus for a long time, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been through some dark nights of the soul, maybe even more than one, and I'm convinced 100% that if you're here, if your level of faith is here, and I bet you a lot of you would agree with me, especially if you've been doing this Jesus following thing for a long time, if your level of faith is up here, it's not because you reveled in the mountaintop over here, but because you wrestled in the valley down there. Now, I've been through this multiple times, uh, multiple iterations of this. Let me just give you one of the first ones. Uh, my freshman year of college, uh, my faith came alive. It was activated. I don't know what happened. Maybe that's when I was born again. I have no idea, but my faith came alive. And uh, I remember I was passionate. I'd share the good news about Jesus. I'd talk with people on the street, even if they were a little annoyed, you know. Um, <laughs> but I, I was passionate. I'd read the Bible cover to cover like three times in three months. I couldn't stop. I'd stay up till three or four in the morning just reading the Word of God. It was amazing. And I remember one time I went into one of my classes, and, and they asked us, we were sitting around in a circle, they had asked us to share something meaningful and impactful in our lives. And I thought, well, what a great opportunity. This professor just opened up a door for me to share the good news of Jesus. I was one of the last ones in the circle. Um, we went around, and everybody was extremely supportive of everything everybody said. You had a good cry. It was wonderful. Uh, then they got to me. 
and I just kind of unloaded. And I, I was very nervous. My heart was beating out of my chest, but I just shared the good news of Jesus. I proclaimed him as the way to God, and I can tell you when I was finished, a little bit different reaction. Um, they started to pepper me with question after question after question. Some of them were about uh, the beginning of the universe. Some of them were about if even scripture is even reliable, if you can really trust it. I mean, they just hammered me. There wasn't, a, there wasn't a cacophony of support. Let's just put it that way. They hammered me, and I had no clue what to say. And worse than that, I was, I was embarrassed because I had no clue what to say. Worse than that, it planted a huge seed of doubt in my own life that maybe I hadn't really examined this. And I, I was scared out of my mind because I thought, you know, I put a lot of my life into this. I've staked this myself on this, and now I don't even know if it's real. So the cool thing that happened, and this was kind of neat, um, I, I tried to talk with people because I was facing a crisis of belief, and I tried to talk with a lot of people, pastors, and most of them would just kind of give me those platitudes of just have faith and trust in God, brother. Um, and I finally went to a bookstore, and I was just looking for something, something. And uh, I stumbled across a book, I was just looking, and they didn't, none of them seemed right, and I found one that was called The Case for Christ. Um, some of you may have heard, heard of that book. And I, I opened it up, I looked at the chapters, and it was almost like verbatim, some of the questions that people were asking me. And so I, I got that book, and I read it, and I, I was so incredibly impressed that the Christian faith could stand up to deep scrutiny. It just filled me with joy. And that book was part of my journey to bring me to a deeper place of trust, a deeper place of faith, and actually helped me to uh, even witness and share the good news of people more effectively. Now, that's just one story. So here's, uh, right, this is the good part, right? This is where it's supposed to get good with Habakkuk, right? So this is the good part. Um, Habakkuk goes on, right? Are you guys ready for the good part? Okay, this is what it uh, says. Um, God says to Habakkuk, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Finally, God, my breakthrough is coming. I'm going to be healed. Finance breakthrough. It's going to happen. My problems will be solved. This is the part in a, uh, you know, uh, a sermon, a Christmas movie sermon, where I might tell a story and kind of use it as an illustration, one that I, I've told before and I really liked it, so I'm going to tell it again. Uh, one time, Alicia and I, we were dropping off a dog for a, a really rich family that she nannied for. We were, dog, we, were, we were basically moving them to Florida, and we took their dog for them. They paid us money. Now, we were planning on staying at a one-star kind of economy hotel, something like a Motel 6, but they surprised us. Now, this, these guys have money. I mean, this is Boca, Florida. I mean, Bentleys everywhere. I don't think I've ever seen a Bentley in Eugene even one time. There's like 20 Bentleys on the drive to the resort. So go stay at the resort. Oh, by the way, put anything you want on our tab. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It's awesome. I mean, we go in. We pull up. There's no option to park. It's all valet parking. We pull up. They ask our names. Give them our names. Excuse me, the Tanners are here. I'm like looking around. They're no, wow, somebody else with the last name Tanner, huh? No, oh, they're talking about us. I'm like, oh, the Tanners are here. Yes, we are. <laughs> we have arrived. Yeah. 
We make it in and there's those bellhops with the cute uniforms and they, like they do everything for you. You don't have to wait in line. We go up. There's, uh, I mean, they ask for a huge tip. I mean, it's always totally weird. Um, they provide you the most glamorous room service you could possibly imagine, anything you want. We went out and got a huge steak at the restaurant. Just you know, put it on the tab, baby. Put it, just act like you're rich. Put it on the tab. Put it on the tab. I mean, it was incredible. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll talk to people and I'll spin that into a little illustration and say, listen, you know, you, know, you think you're going to get this junk, but God's got something a lot better for you. So, you know, maybe you got a bad job. Go, maybe God will bless you with a better job. Or sometimes I'll speak to the single ladies out there because there's a lot of single ladies that sometimes date stupid guys. Don't date stupid guys. Don't waste your time with those guys. And what I'll say is something like, you know, you have a Motel 6 boyfriend and don't worry if it doesn't work out. Dump him because God's got a five-star, you know, resort man for you. And all the single ladies said, oh, there's only like two, never mind. So, <laughs> you're all married, sorry. <laughs> um, but this isn't a Christmas movie sermon. So here's what God says to Habakkuk. Are you ready? What you wouldn't even believe if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings that are not their own, they are feared and dreaded people, and they all come intent on violence. It says, Habakkuk, you think it's bad now? It's going to get worse. And this makes no sense. Doesn't seem just, doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem right. What do you do when you want to believe that God is good, but life is not? You wrestle. A committed believer can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a genuine faith in God. I'm going to say that one more time because if there's one takeaway you need from this message today, it's this. A committed believer can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a genuine faith in God. Now, I want you to feel this part in your bones. Listen to the words of Scripture and feel it deep inside of you as you listen to Habakkuk as he both embraces and he wrestles. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. He's embracing God. He's embracing, he's believing. Then he says, you, Lord, have, appoint you, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. He's wrestling your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. He's embracing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallows up those more righteous than themselves? And then he wrestles. You have to understand that, that God understands your pain. He welcomes your questions. And I am convinced that he would rather you yell at him than walk away from him. When you're there, don't deny your doubts. Let your doubts drive you to the God of the universe who knows and understands everything about you and has counted the hairs on your head. That's what Henry Wadsworth Longfellow had to do when he wrote that poem. Let's go back to the last two stanzas real quick. He says, and in despair I bowed my head there's no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. 
Then he writes the last stanza, which a lot of people think is kind of a happy ending, but it's not really. It's just, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now notice, that wasn't Henry Wadsworth Longfellow saying that. All he was remarking that it was that in the middle of that Christmas time, despite the fact that he was in such misery, the bells kept ringing. And that was the message that was being pounded through those bells, and they just became louder and louder. See, his depression over the tragic death of his wife that he loved extremely deeply did not go away suddenly on Christmas Day. His son didn't pop out of the bed and say, Dad, I'm healed. Glory to God. Everything's perfect. And the Civil War was still raging across the country. Brother against brother. Countrymen against countrymen. With no end in sight. This is where I've been for the last three and a half years. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but I, I'll tell you that I'm tired. I'm so, so tired. I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of wondering. I'm tired of hurting. But I'm not tired of wrestling. Sometimes people will tell you that God will not give you more than you can handle. That is a misinterpretation of a passage of Scripture. What that passage is talking about is that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will always give you a way out so that you do not have to sin. I am convinced that oftentimes God will allow you to have more than you can bear so that you reach a point where you have to completely and totally depend on Him for every millisecond of your life. You guys ready for the happy ending? There's not one. That's it. When you're in the valley, don't deny reality, don't deny God, and do not walk away. Wrestle and embrace. Father, we love you. We worship you and we give you the glory. When Christmas is wonderful, when life is going swell, when everything couldn't be better, we glorify you, but we also honor you and respect you and embrace you when we're suffering, when it's hard and we don't understand. Father, today we pray over those today that uh, need some hope, and they need some hope in the dark today. We pray right now that you would infuse them with your grace and with your peace, fill them with your Holy Spirit, God, and give them a hope right now in the name of Jesus. And we give all these things to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I believe right now, some of you right now, you're, you're in a season, you're, you're in a struggle. And I'm going to ask really quickly right now, some of you, you say, hey, I'm kind of in a valley, and, and I need some strength to wrestle and embrace today. If that's you, raise your hand. Raise your hand. I need a little strength to wrestle and embrace. Hands all across the room. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. God bless you. Keep keeping on. Keep fighting. Keep wrestling. Keep believing. You know, I don't believe this message is for every single person in here. If, if your life's going perfect, this may not be for you. But for some of you, this is for you, and you know it. You know it, you know it, and you know it in your bones. This is for you. And I want to conclude by just saying, you know, today, you know, this isn't a Christmas movie sermon, right? This is, there's not a, it's not a joy, this is kind of a heavy message. And it might leave you thinking that God isn't necessarily ever going to respond 
Um, and because sometimes he doesn't respond when we think he should or how he think he, we, he should. But I want to tell you that there is a time that God will always respond to you 100% guaranteed every single time. It's when you cast yourself on his mercy and express faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every single time without exception, you can give your life to Jesus, you can place your faith in him, and he will hear that prayer. When you come before him with a humble heart, not, not believing that you've got it figured out, not believing that you know how everything is going and it's going perfectly, but when you come to him with humility, knowing that you're broken, knowing that the weight of your sin has dragged you down, and you come to him in faith, saying, yes, God, I need your forgiveness, I need your grace, I need you, God. Save me, deliver me, make me new. When you call upon him, he will respond every single time. It is guaranteed. And I believe that there's some of you here today, maybe you're just checking this God thing out and you sense it in your spirit. Maybe you've never sensed it in before. Maybe you've sensed it for years and you've just resisted what God is doing in your heart. You're sensing that there's a separation between you and God. You may not even know what that is. It's not the weird breakfast that you had this morning. You are feeling the weight of your sin. You are feeling God's spirit draw you to himself. And today, all you have to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus. Who was Jesus? That little boy in a manger wasn't just a little boy. He was the God of the universe incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. The Son of God took on a human nature in the person of Jesus, lived among us, dwelt among us without sin, obeyed God perfectly, and then died on a cross to pay the price for your sins. That's what God did for you. He sent his son because he loves you. Because he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And today, if you simply call on his name, turn away from your sin, turn in faith to him, you'll be saved, you'll be changed, you'll be delivered, you'll be made new. That little baby, the reason he came, the reason Jesus came was to die. But three days later, he rose from the dead in victory over sin, in victory over suffering, in victory over disease. And when you, when you appropriate Jesus into your life, when you make him the center of your very existence, when you place your faith in him, you will achieve that same victory. He gives you victory over all of those same things. And today we're going to give you an opportunity. Right now, some of you, you know it, you can feel it, your heart's beating out of your chest. Right now, you know that, yes, I need his forgiveness. Yes, I need his grace. I need to know this Jesus. And so right now, um, at the count of three, hands up if you say, yes, today I want his forgiveness, I want his grace. I want to know this Jesus Christ at the count of three. Uh, hands up all across the room. One, two, three. Hands up if you say yes. Yes, I see you. Come on, put your hands together for these people. Come on. People right now are being saved, changed, delivered. Somebody get excited in this place. We love you guys. Thank you. Welcome to the family of God. We're so excited for you. Um, and we just want to say thank you. And we believe this is just the beginning of your journey. Glory to God.